Welcome to Intelligent Machines and Medicine, conversations about artificial intelligence, machine learning, and healthcare. This podcast is brought to you by Mayo Clinic. I'm your host, Adria Hoffman, and I invite you to join us as we explore the potential of AI in medicine and the big questions that guide our work. I was delighted to welcome Dr. Kevin Peterson to the podcast. Dr. Peterson is a senior data scientist here in the Center for Digital Health at Mayo Clinic. His bachelor's degree is in computer science, his master's degree is in software engineering, and he holds a PhD in bioinformatics and computational biology. He's worked at the Mayo Clinic for nearly 18 years and spoke with me about the changes in data science and medicine over that time. He also shared some really valuable insights about opportunities for innovation in AI and medicine. Thank you for joining us today. Maybe you could begin by telling us a little bit about your background and how long you've been at Mayo Clinic. Yeah, uh, I started at Mayo in 2005 most of my early career was was very software engineering focused i was really interested in software engineering because i could see that these great ideas that were coming from our investigators but i knew it took a lot of work to actually realize those things and put them into practice and and a lot of that was software and learning how to how to write code that was correct and safe and efficient and reusable and all those things. Uh, but being assigned to a research lab most of my time, I really got introduced to, to the research side of things. So not just writing code to support it, but actually thinking through experiments and, and running simulations and, and coming up with hypotheses for things. Over the years, I, I really wanted to explore that more what is important and what is not, what, what matters a lot, what might not matter as much. So I have to jump in here and ask, how do you think about the big questions that guide your work? I think I approach most things as a data scientist, but from an engineering perspective, uh, which I think um, is really helpful to be able to think through the project, so not only how we're going to build a model, but how are we going to deploy it? How's it going to be coded? Is it going to be safe? Is it going to be performant fast enough for our clinicians? Those are big questions, and I can't help but think that they all go back to the role of data. Could you tell us how you've seen data evolve over your career here at Mayo Clinic? I, I think a big change came as more and more health records started to digitize. We started having problems maybe that we didn't have in the past. How do you store all these things that are no longer paper? Uh, what kind of systems do we need to store them? What, what's the access protocol like? What kind of people do we need to make sure these systems are, are always running and aren't gonna fail at three in the morning when some physician needs them? Now, these are all things we, we sort of had to learn. I'm curious, how have we accessed data in the past and how has that changed? Around the time that I, started most most data was produced by source systems so a source ehr or a lab system or a order system 
all had kind of their own siloed data marts and they had their own databases to run their processes and they were kind of independent things. Uh, people started thinking about how can we consolidate all this stuff? How can we gather up all this data into, into one place that people can just go and access? Um, uh, but it's really been an idea that's been around for a long time. It's just this idea of taking all this data in, processing it, moving things around, making sure it all looks similar, it all fits in similar tables, putting it in a place where people can access and not necessarily have to go to the individual source systems. Years ago, before Epic, Mayo Clinic had several different EHRs within the enterprise. You can imagine that the data from one and the data from other were pretty different. They had different ways of storing things and but if you had a research project or a clinical application, you probably needed to access both of those and you needed to just stitch them together somehow. So you needed to know really sometimes pretty intricate details about each system, why they stored things, why they did, what were some assumptions about some of the data. You, you need to know those things because when you brought them together, you had to make sure you did it correctly and that things meant the same. You had to align there were different codes and, and semantics for these different things. They all had to be put together and teams had to do that every time. The emergence of things like uh, you know, data governance and, 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 and standards around how we store data, these things were able to be done upfront and pre-processing could happen and people could just use the data. It had already been unified, so to speak. Uh, so that really took a lot of that burden off of groups. They didn't have to know the really intricate details of why one system did something one way and another did the another way. The people that really did know that could write the processes to bring the data in. So it sounds like there's also been quite an evolution of the role of those of you who work with the data and the titles that you may have held over time. Yeah, there there definitely has been has been changes. Um, for my first couple of years, we wrote for for research grants and things. If we needed an application or we needed to pilot something, we wrote the code. We we set up the build pipelines. Uh, sometimes we even built the servers and the racks to to run the code. We we set up backups and you know, these were all physical servers at the time so set up set of backups and, and disaster recovery for our servers that we had running all that stuff you had to know kind of the whole slice of things there wasn't dedicated software engineering teams or there wasn't really specialization that sometimes we see now i think the, the one thing uh, that i've seen that i, I think is is, is really helpful to us is we're, we're starting to see see these roles get teased apart a little and allow people to specialize in, in things that are really important. So we have uh, data scientists that can focus a little less on being an engineer or being an operational support person and focus a little more on methodology and innovating within just the model space. Uh, 
So that's, I think that's important. I'd like to follow that through a bit further. What else have you seen emerge as you've noted these specializations occur? I think what I saw early in my career is really the emergence of of informatics as something that that's that's really important to us. In case we have listeners who are unfamiliar with the field, tell me what you mean by informatics. By informatics, generally what I'm talking about is the ability to take all our our data, so all the all the information we have at, at mail, and be able to extract meaningful information from that. So not just data, but information that we can use to make decisions, to derive knowledge from that, get insight from that, and and then have wisdom to go forward and, and change policy and and change the practice built on top of that. The discipline of informatics teaches us how do we organize our data? How do we define it? How do we structure it? How do we label it? How do we place metadata on it to track lineage? All these really important things that we need to to get knowledge and wisdom from our data. I think we gradually learned, we've been learning for for a long time. It's not enough just to have lots and lots of data. We do have lots and lots of data, but you have to be able to to make sense of it, to reuse it, to know what it means, or else it's it's not useful to anybody. So the emergence of informatics, I think, is a really important thing that I've seen. I really appreciate the way that you framed those questions and articulated these considerations. It makes me wonder, as methods and tools evolved, what kind of upskilling or retraining did we need to have as an organization to enter this new era of machine learning innovation? As the methods changed over the years, you know, a lot of the things we see in machine learning today are draw heavily from things that have been done for a really long time in, in, the, in the stats world. Uh, so we had a lot of people with a ton of experience in that. Uh, that were able to just learn some new things and, and augment their knowledge in new ways and, and learn some new methods. I think we had a head start because we had people that could think this way and, and, and were thinking this way and doing it in projects every day. But overall, a lot of the, a lot of the things that we do are, are, are similar to things that, that we've always done. And even when we start, we started talking about things like, like deep learning and machine learning, and we had a lot of questions about how's this going to work in the clinic, and how are we going to do it, and how should we set up teams to do it? We really just didn't know. Um, you know, this is time when when sort of these big deep learning models were just starting to emerge, and and people were trying to process what all this meant to us. Can you give us an example or two of early deep learning projects or neural network projects that that seemed super innovative at the time? For a long time was was pretty it was mostly rule based, meaning you'd look for specific keywords and patterns and grammar and things like that. And you'd write very specific rules for things. And that's how a lot of things are still done. And it's a, it's a really effective way of doing things. But you had groups like Google and, and others, and they started thinking about language 
not as just tokens of words that you looked at the grammar and you looked for specific mentions of things, but you treated language and, and words as more of things that that have their own meaning that you can represent with with numbers and and you can compare them to each other and you can do really interesting things with them like like pass them into deep learning models you can create uh, numerical representations of language that you can then feed into models and, and do really interesting things so we started seeing things that you know google was doing uh in terms of 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 language and, and things like word to vec and some of the really early attempts at that it was this notion of we can use these techniques and you can start seeing the the knowledge and the meaning behind the words in ways that we never could so we, we could we could not only know just what what were the tokens in the sentence and how were they arranged and what was the grammar but we could know more abstract things like what were they talking about and what did they mean? And were they happy or they, were they sad or was this positive or negative? And these really sort of, these human level things almost, we should be able to see. And that was really, really exciting to me. What would that allow us to do in life if we understood the tone of, uh, of someone's speech, if they were happy or sad, like you said? Yeah, so uh, some things we can do in the clinic, um, some things I've I've helped work on in the past, we can process patient uh, feedback and and look at sentiment of patients. So I've had a few projects where where groups are really interested in what is the feedback from from patients and what sort of things are they saying. And you can imagine for really high volume departments, it's it's tough to do manually. Can there be ways where you can look at feedback and say, you know, this person was was happy with their experience at Mayo, or this person had an issue. It, it it's not dissimilar to things that you would see in Amazon review, these things like that, and they do the exact same the exact same methods apply. Uh, was this movie review positive or negative? Same techniques, just applied a little differently. But things like that are really important. Primarily, when we think of healthcare. Uh, a lot of things we do with natural language processing are on the clinical notes. So as physicians write down their impressions of the patient and, and things, uh, we go through and analyze those. But what we're really looking at is, is, is a window into the clinician's experience, their intuition, their, their, their training. Our most valuable asset here at Mayo is enormous depth of, of brilliant physicians and that helps us get an insight into what they're thinking and what they're doing and what they think about the, the patient. It sounds like this could be incredibly advantageous when we think about that primary goal of patient care. Is the information being conveyed by the physician, being received by the patient, so that there's follow-through in the care plan? Yes, there, there, there's lots of things we want to extract from the 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 notes that we look through you know the the notes are 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 there to describe the encounter and the patient experience and what happened and the physician's impression exactly what we need often for our models that type of information so they're very valuable to us 
The problem with all of this is that natural language processing, especially in healthcare, is very, very hard. There are really, really tough challenges doing it right. And there can be a lot of noise in even the best algorithms. What does that noise look like? Healthcare, for example, there's tons of acronyms and there's tons of acronyms that are the same but mean different things and you have to infer from context what they mean. A lot of different ways of saying similar things. So you have to be have algorithms that can linguistically look at very different things that are saying similar things but able be able to know that somehow. Sometimes if as we write if we write patterns to look at specific speech or ways of saying things we can often miss things because somebody could say it differently but mean the same thing. It's a difficult problem but I think it's something that we we continue to make progress on. The challenge often with with natural language processing is we as humans are just so instinctively good at it. What our brains do to be able to understand each other is is remarkable. And there's so much going on behind the scenes that our, our brains are filling in. Context, background information that we share to be able to talk to each other. I can talk to you about things that maybe I haven't ever seen or you haven't seen but we can both know what we're talking about because of past shared experiences and common sense and, and background knowledge. And I can, I can phrase things in strange ways, or I, I can meander around for a while to get to the point. Uh, but you can, you will be able to tease that apart and, and determine what I'm trying to say. Computers don't have any of that. They're very literal. Thank you. That was such a perfect explanation of where we face limitations in artificial intelligence, machine learning. We end each episode by wondering aloud a bit, and I hope you're game to wonder aloud with us. The first wondering I have is about trustworthiness. We talk about it quite a bit in machine learning and artificial intelligence. How do you know you can really trust someone or something? That's a that's a good question. Um, you know, I, I think trust. Is, I, I think trust is, is is built over time, and there's only so much that you can can say and do to assert trustworthiness. I, I think real trustworthiness has to just come from someone seeing the right thing happen for a really, really long period of time, knowing that this this person or this organization has done the right thing for a long time. And I don't have any reason to believe that they won't continue doing that for me. Um, so when I think about Mayo Clinic, I have family and friends and, and I, I often hear you should go to Mayo. They'll, they'll, they'll be able to, to figure out what's going on. And I really believe that it's because Mayo has done the right thing for such a long period of time uh, that somebody can go to a clinician, a provider at Mayo that they've never met, uh, but they know that the organization surrounding them is doing the right thing and has for a really long time. 
so they feel comfortable. We can think that way with our machine learning algorithms and our AI here too. We're going to have to go through a period where we do the right thing and we do it for long enough that people are going to think that this group has done AI solutions for a long time and, and they've been safe and effective. I don't have any reason to believe that the next one won't, but I really think time is going to lead to that. We can we can say uh, that we should be trustworthy, uh, that our solutions are safe and fair and, and, all, and all these things. And we can provide evidence to that end all that we want. Thank you. Okay, next wondering. For what problem do you wish you had a tool to solve? The thing I think that limits us the most is, is data, data interoperability, being able to share healthcare records from institution to institution, having your healthcare records follow you along and, and being able to be understood from place to place as you go. It makes me wish that we had a tool that could do this. And I know that's a, a way, simplistic way of thinking about the problem. I think that's the thing that that limits us, not having consistent data uh, in the healthcare domain. I think, I think healthcare, at least analytics and machine learning would be quite different than we have right now. now I, always, I think of... Um, Maybe they put you on the next American flight or uh, they reschedule you for later in the day. And when you get from Rochester and you fly to Chicago, Chicago airport has all your records and they know where you're going. And if something goes wrong, they can switch it just as well as Rochester airport can switch it. But in healthcare, these are things we still struggle with. And I think that comparison is not exactly perfect because there's quite a bit more nuance in healthcare. But I think there's something to that. It gives me a lot of, of hope because we have a lot of great people at Mayo that are thinking about this very thing. That would be my, I guess, wish or hope for the future. Thank you. This has been such an intriguing conversation and I know I've learned a lot. Thank you. 